things start to get a little bit creepy and spooky as this week I am delving into the Pitch Perfect Horror Week. Welcome back to Pitch Slapped. My name is Kaylee Hillier and this is the unofficial fan-made Pitch Perfect podcast because we're still obsessed with it. This week not only are we going to be delving into Pitch Perfect Horror Week which is coming up very very soon, we've also got some actor news for you and some fan fiction including bad drivers late night studying love stories around a bed and some nightclub pining as well let's get into it starting off with actor news this week i tell you what it's actually been quite busy britney snow has been well busy at the moment she has been promoting september letters So she was on a YouTube series recently where she was interviewed about September Letters. It's called Better Together with Maria Munoz. And they have Brittany Snow and the co-founder of September Letters, Jasper Gast, talking about their initiative and what they hope to achieve through September Letters and how they're trying to create spaces for mental health awareness. Not only that, but also on the September Letters Instagram TV... If you check out their Instagram account, Brittany Snow and Jasper Guest got together to just share a little bit about September Letters and how it's gone in the first month. So that was also really, really awesome to check out. In other news, Hayley Steinfeld had some big news over the past week or so where we got news that Dickinson is back for season two. Can't wait for that one. Ruby Rose has just had her new movie out. It's called The Doorman and it's available apparently on Apple TV. It is an action movie. A woman returns to combat and befriends a family in New York City. A gang of thieves plot to take the family's valuables and she is all that stands between them and their lives. That is out now on Apple TV. Esther Dean, if you didn't know, she has a TikTok account And she was sharing over the past week. She's been in the studio doing a little bit of work for Trolls. I'm intrigued to see where that's going to go. Rebel Wilson announced that she is writing her very first children's book. And apparently it's going to be called Bella the Brave. I wonder where she got that name from. If you need a bit of word of warning also about TikTok, Skylar Austin has apparently now got a TikTok account. Just giving you fair warning, I've only seen one video up there so far, but if he gets addicted to it like he seems to with uh, Instagram stories, who knows what's going to happen on there. So watch this space. And of course, if you were around anywhere over the past week looking at some Anna Kendrick content, she was on the Golden Globes broadcast. They had a special broadcast for the HFPA Philanthropy empowering the next generation, doing a showcase of some of the great work from young creators. Lots and lots of busy things going on at the moment and looking forward to more coming out from the great actors and actresses from Pitch Perfect. It's about time now that we get a little bit spooky. We delve into the dark side of where creators could take Pitch Perfect by finding out more about Pitch Perfect Horror Week. So it's October and it's the spooky season and I thought, you know, Pitch Perfect and Halloween, there's lots going on there, lots of people have written about it. 
And I saw on Tumblr that there is a Picture Perfect Horror Week. And this has been going on for a few years. And I was so intrigued because Pitch Perfect's not necessarily something that I would connect with horror. And so I was like, man, I wonder like how this all started, where it's come from. So I decided to go to the source and I contacted Pitch Perfect Horror Week. And I have got Shelby with me today to talk about it. Hi, Shelby. Hi, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. So Shelby, have you been involved from the beginning of Horror Week? Yeah, I kind of was the main person who brought it up and then I just brought other people on to help me out. I love it. So you've kind of been the driving force behind this from the beginning then? Yeah, I mean, we were all feeling the spooky season and we went for it and I was just kind of feeling it a little bit more, I guess, and uh, took the initiative and kind of started it, I guess. I was, I was by myself for the first year. And then after that, we got a team together. Really? So the sort yeah. of first year was kind of really on, all on your back and bringing it all together. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem as stressful when I was still in school. And then when I got out of school, I was like, oh, okay, stress. <laughs> so that's <laughs> when you bring other people in. Love it. So your team's kind of expanded a little bit and, uh, and Horror Week's kind of grown from the first year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Once you find people that kind of uh, like the same genre as you do, it's uh, it's really good to create a community around that, especially if they share the same interests such as Pitch Perfect and horror. <laughs> yeah, Pitch Perfect and horror, you wouldn't necessarily think go together, but you've made it work. Yeah, I mean, it's the complete opposite from the actual genre of the movie, which is, I guess, musical comedy. So um, it's kind of a way to flip the script a little bit. I remember it happening last year and completely unexpected what was going to happen. And it is, it's just a whole completely sort of new take on these characters and throwing them into situations that you just, you would never have thought to throw them into. Yeah, you kind of just hope for the best, especially with the prompts that we kind of put out there. They're not conventional in the slightest. It seems like it's something that people want to see because that's kind of how they submit the themes. But it's still kind of the most unconventional way to take something into a new direction. Definitely, yeah. You're also on Tumblr yourself, aren't you? Because you're a writer. Yes. So if people wanted to find out more about you, what is your Tumblr handle? Yeah, so it's Unholy Helbig. Uh, It's been that since I was like 16. My AO3 name is also Unholy Helbig, and it's a lot less cluttered because... There's not a lot of other stuff on there. (laughs) So as a writer, were you interested in the horror genre, writing about that before you started Horror Week? Yeah, for sure. So um, when I was in second grade, uh, my teacher kind of asked us to do this horror prompt. And I remember writing a story about this one friend going to different houses and picking up a new scary character each house she went to. And my teacher actually called my mom and I thought I was in trouble because I was like, oh God, this is, this is really bad. Um, I wasn't, she said I was really good and I kind of have like a natural talent for writing. So I guess it kind of started there and then I've just evolved from there into going into deeper aspects of horror, not just uh, stuff that kids write, I guess. Who knew like that you had this whole horror side of you that you've kind of been growing over the past few years? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a genre that kind of picks your brain a little bit. It's not like super straight cut. It's people find a lot of things scary and you got to play into that fear a little bit. 
So just give people a little bit of a context. What are some of the fix that they might know you by? Yeah, for sure. So um, the horror scariest fic that I have is called Camp Beaverbrook. It is a, a fan fiction about a camp in the 80s. I think it's late 80s. Yeah, I should know this better. <laughs> but it is the late 80s, and it's just basically a full-on slasher film. Plays onto every single horror trope you can ever get. Um, non, I guess, horror fan fiction that I have. Uh, there's a newer one called Belmare, and it's still kind of horror-ish. It's about a Aubrey being a prosecutor, and she has to go into witness protection. So. Oh wow! Like, that's yeah, completely that different. Probably the one that I've been posting the most. I do have books of one shots too, and I think I have like fifty or sixty chapters with Becca and Chloe. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to choose from. Love it! I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it about horror that you love? Um, I guess it's the unexpected. Uh, I kind of like the feeling that you get from reading horror. I guess people read certain things to get uh, something out of it. Like people love romance because they like that warm feeling that you get. I guess on the other end of the spectrum, I like horror because I kind of like that cold feeling that you get. I know that sounds really, really morbid, but there's something about uh, horror that just draws you in and you have to keep reading until the end because anything could happen. It's not like clean cut girl meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they have a fight, and then they fall in love again. It's like, anything could happen. <laughs> like, Literally anything. Like. Yeah, absolutely anything. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the intriguing thing with throwing it into something like Pitch Perfect, because like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy musical, a musical comedy, and um, you know, it's light and it's fluffy. I mean, it's got a little bit of an edge to it, but that's where it sits just like right there and so the idea of taking that pitch perfect and throwing it into the horror genre is completely different yeah i mean it definitely wasn't something that we thought would pick up speed at first it did over time but it's like horror is an acquired taste in general uh spooky stuff isn't for everybody which we totally understand uh but we do like pushing the boundaries a little bit and we like kind of seeing where people can go with their imaginations, especially that's a reason why we keep the prompts so loose and casual. How have you found chucking horror into the Pitch Perfect fandom? Because I was speaking to Rabidnar a few weeks ago and they're really into thrillers. People just weren't expecting it. They don't normally go there like as a fandom. It's kind of sits in this kind of very lovely like romantic bubble maybe a little bit of comedy. And so chucking in a different, completely different genre was quite alien for some people. Yeah, there's for sure a stipulation with, I think, every fandom and the main fan fictions that they go through. Obviously, if you're watching like a fantasy show or like a horror show, there's going to be witches, there's going to be werewolves, there's going to be pretty much everything you can think of. But when you take something that is a musical comedy and you kind of flip it on its side and you think about how characters would react in a certain way and uh, based on the mannerisms that the producers and the writers already kind of present you with. It's definitely interesting and it's not for everybody, but the people that do give it a chance and do read through it, uh, I think that they're really, really, really accepting of it. And it's just something interesting, especially around Halloween when you're like, into that horror aspect you're into the fact that the leaves are changing outside and like 
pumpkin spice everything you just want to curl up and read something spooky sometimes and presenting the fandom with something like that i think is a really good thing for everybody to do just because once you find something that you like it's good to have options yeah definitely and i love especially with things like this and people experimenting with different genres and different challenges is you're taking these characters which are already established that we all know and then chucking them into completely different scenarios and then seeing how the authors played them out, how are they going to react in this situation? What's Becca going to do when there's a serial killer on the loose or something else, you know, and it just kind of opens up a whole new world. Yeah, it honestly... I think the hardest part of everything is kind of staying on brand with characters sometimes. Uh, I've talked to a couple other writers and especially when you bring them out of that college setting and uh, that tour setting and having the natural enemies of like the troublemakers and all that kind of stuff, it kind of opens the world to a lot more. Like what, what if someone accidentally got bitten by a werewolf? Like how are they going to react to that? Like what are you going to do if, Chloe gets bitten by a werewolf or Becca does and the rest of the girls have to deal with it. Like you can still have those core characters that you've grown to love so much and you can put them in new situations that you wouldn't necessarily see every day. I love that that's actually a question that you could ask yourself, Liz. Like what would Chloe do if she got bitten by a werewolf? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like how would she react? Is she okay? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the great thing because then it gives writers like a new challenge, a new thing to think about. Maybe it's just a question that sparks a new direction, a new scenario to chuck these characters in and see what happens. Yeah, especially when, uh, like we said earlier, a lot of the fan fiction is within those boxes of the fluff and the romance. Uh, it's good to see what people can do, I guess, like kind of pushing them a little bit further with those uh, themes to try to get them to, I guess, tap into their inner scary side. Yeah, and I think that's why things like Horror Week are, they're really refreshing to have during the year because it gives, it's like a little challenge that you would never kind of probably get involved in or, or select those types of topics at any other time. But because it's there and like, you're bound by maybe the themes of each, uh, each day of the week, like it gives creators an opportunity to kind of challenge themselves as to how would they react to that or what, where does their mind go with that prompt? Yeah, and we're super like, I guess loose when it comes to the themes. It can be anything associated with it. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like if it's the Haunted Circus one, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a Haunted Circus. It can be pretty much anywhere as long as it has that kind of creepy circus whimsical element to it. It can be completely fantasy, uh, which is why we've kind of struggled with doing sci-fi elements to it too, because there's so much more to tap into other than just classic gothic horror. Yeah, and I think especially when it's around Halloween as well, you've got like, obviously you've got horror as a genre, then you've obviously got the twist of Halloween where you get the cheesy side of horror as well. And like you said, sci-fi is kind of in there, sci-fi horror as well. So there's so many different ways that people could interpret the prompts, like, you know, it's a Halloween party, or you, like you said, it could just be a small aspect that they've taken the prompt with and ran with it. For sure. It's 
a lot to think about, especially when you do have to do seven in a row, which doesn't necessarily have to happen. You can pick a couple if you want, as long as it's on the day. Uh, but it's just absolutely insane to see where people will take it because you give them a simple one word and they run with it like insanely fast. It's so quick and people are just so talented and they really kind of push the envelope a little bit as to what they're capable of and what they've seen and they're drawing from like personal experience as well, which stuff that they find scary that might not be scary to other people, but it's still eerie and still creepy. Yeah, you get this whole like creepiness vibe for for October through Pitch Perfect. It's fantastic. <laughs> so with sort of Horror Week, how does it, how did it all start? Yeah, for sure. So um, since I've always been kind of into horror, I was sitting there and I was seeing all the different weeks that the fandom already has. I think it started with the Chloe Week. I might be wrong, but it's branched out into like every shift having a different week. And it was near enough to Halloween where I was like, okay, um, we don't have a week for Halloween, but I wasn't sure how to go about it at first because I didn't know if I should do like a Chloe Halloween week, but not everybody likes that shit. So I didn't put that many parameters in it other than that it had to be scary and it had to be such perfect. And that first year, it was just me most of the time. I did get some input from other people. Uh, and then after that, we just kind of created this like little team and have been going since. That's amazing, especially the one idea that you had. You didn't know how it was going to go, but you just started it off and then it's just kind of picked up and gone since then. Yeah, we definitely didn't expect that much response. And at the very beginning, I'm not sure if we got it or not. Uh, it was a while ago, so I don't really remember. <laughs> But we did get a lot of people kind of picking it up as the days went on because there was like a little skittishness at the beginning, like, am I doing this right? And the answer is yes, you're always doing it right because no matter what you create is fantastic. So it was just kind of one of those things where the more people heard about it and the more people, and I don't want to say like big thick writers, but like thick writers that post a lot and you see a lot of their work and like people recognize their usernames started kind of uh, pulling into it a little bit more and alerting other people about it too. So we've just gotten so many submissions these past two years and this is just the third year running and hopefully it's going to go well. We've gotten a big response to the theme so far. So, Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I was wondering what the response was when you started it, like in the fandom you know, were, were people quite receptive? You mentioned that maybe they were a little bit nervous. Yeah, it was a lot of um, skepticism at first. And I was kind of, since I was doing it by myself, I was like, you know what? We're just going to roll with it. I already started it. Let's just go for it. Um, but I found out that a lot more people were receptive of it after Halloween, which was weird. We did do it really, really close to the beginning of October for the first two years, but <laughs> a lot of people found them after like October was over. It was like summer and people kind of got more interested in it and they would go to the hashtags and be like, oh, there's more of these. And then it would lead us to our page and then they'd be like, okay, I'm going to keep track of that. So we ended up getting a lot more like followers on that specific Tumblr, I guess, later towards the summer and when the second year rolled around I think uh, Pitch Perfect 
three had just kind of dropped a lot of stuff. So a lot of people were engaged in it. And um, yeah, it just kind of, people were really nervous at first. We were getting a lot of questions about uh, what they could or couldn't do. Cause we did set those bars, I guess, at the beginning of what we don't accept, which is like a lot of gore. Um, I think this year we put no apocalyptic stuff on there just to be safe. And uh, I think the parameters aren't really that bad. So it confused people because some people like need that peer direction, which we're for sure willing to give you. Uh, but it's all up to you kind of thing. So if people have questions or they, they're nervous, they can just write to you through the Tumblr and ask you those questions. Yeah, for sure. So at the bottom of every single post we make, like officially not reblogging anything, we do have a link where you can go ahead and ask us questions. It is that normal uh, Tumblr question kind of bot that they already have. So you can click at the very top as well if you have any questions for us. We try to get to them super fast. Some of them we don't have answers to. Uh, but if you do have any questions about it, you can always ask us. And that's one thing that I think I find really fascinating with Horror Week is because, you know, this is like a challenge that a lot of writers will pick up on. And so it might be quite an unfamiliar territory. But like you said, there's not like a huge parameter over it. So like they can go in any direction they really want to with it and kind of take these scenes and just run with it. Absolutely. We uh, totally, totally endorse creativity no matter what. If you think that something's too much, that's <laughs> that, I feel like that's on you kind of thing. Uh, but other than that goriness factor and certain factors that every, I think, industry kind of shies away from, nothing's off limits. We do try to get you guys to stay in the parameters of the actual, I guess, day. But other than that, we just want to see how creative you can get with it. Yeah, and, and just see what people pick out from these prompts, because what fascinates me is that everybody will write something completely different. For sure. I think that that's a huge thing with writing in general. Uh, I think I had one English teacher tell me one time, everybody could look at the same tree, but they could all see something different. And I think that's the best way to describe this, is everybody could look at the same prompt, and you can all see something completely different. You can especially with the first day, which is the cryptids, there are so many like creatures that you can choose from. It's not like you have to do werewolves, you have to do Bigfoot, you have to do the abominable snowman. You don't have to do that. You can do anything that your mind is at. You can create a monster if you want to. It's just completely up to you as long as it's got that, that scary factor to it. I think that's another thing as well. Like you can choose how scary you want to make it or not. Like as long as it is around the theme that that's doing its job. Yeah, I hate, we found like kind of a weird love for fluffy horror stuff. <laughs> it's not like completely horrifying, but it's also uh, adorable and spooky. So if somebody wants to do that, they can. Like, I love that, like fluffy horror. That should be like a whole new genre in itself. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of that technically. <laughs> If you work some comedy in there, it's great. I feel like every horror movie, every movie in general has an aspect of comedy to it because at some point when you're in a horror story, like if your basement's super haunted, you gotta laugh about it. Like, oh, I bought this stupid house and it's stupidly haunted, great. <laughs> you gotta have some humor to life. So, you know, if you're stuck in a horror situation, just kind of make it funny. 
So I know that um, it takes a lot of effort to put stuff like this together. Like mm-hmm. how long is the process in actually kind of getting to Horror Week? Yeah, so it takes about three months, which uh, sounds like a lot, but me and the other people on the team don't have corresponding schedules. So it's not a lot, a lot of work, but it's stretched over some time so we can kind of iron out the kinks. Uh, the biggest part is picking the themes just because we keep the submissions open for about a month so people can uh, become aware of it if they're not already aware of it. And if they think of more closer to Halloween, then that's totally okay too. We end up getting around like 60 or 70 submissions wow. like for themes. Yeah, so a lot of them are repeat themes, which is okay for us because we can kind of divide them. So we just take some time. I think we take like a full night to kind of uh, weed through them. And if they sound kind of familiar, like um, cursed objects or like people say haunted knives or like a Ouija board, we'll put that all together into cursed objects because they are technically, you can still do your prompt, but it's focused on one thing. So you can do anything you want with it. So you, you spend some time collecting the prompts, then you've got to pick out the prompts you want to use, and then you've got to then select the week and start pushing for Horror Week itself. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot. And I think the biggest part is pushing for Horror Week because I know personally for me, whenever I see weeks like this, I like screenshot it and I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is it. This is the one. And then I forget all about it. So I think the biggest challenge for us is keeping it on people's timelines and making sure that uh, people know what's going on. Because I totally have like the attention span of a rock. So if anybody else is like me, it's just not not happening unless you constantly see it in your face. What does it mean to you to get prompts from other people? Because you could technically make it up yourself. It's actually really, really gratifying, mainly because... Uh, our brains stop working at a certain point through this process and uh, we just can't think of anything that hasn't been done before, especially now that we're getting later into, it's the third year, so we've done 14 prompts already. So we kind of have to make sure that it's not like the previous years, make sure it's something new and make sure it's something that people want to do. So it's just really, really nice to see people who think, hey, I'd want to see this. Like, if I'm not writing it, I want to read it. So even if you're not going to participate in Horror Week, we totally, totally promote that you should still submit prompts so that you can see kind of what you want in fan fiction. Because it kind of explodes out of nowhere. Like, just that week, there's a bunch of horror on AO3 and a bunch of horror on uh, fanfiction.net and Tumblr. And people are like, where are these coming from? Why does everybody write the same thing? Uh, But it's just kind of interesting because we want to give people what they want but we also want to make them kind of uncomfortable (laughs) i love that (laughs) (laughs) one of the things of being able to ask people for prompts is it really engages the community and lets them get involved right from the very beginning of the process yeah i went through a phase uh especially writing uh for youtubers which i did before i did this uh where i would get so frustrated because my fandom was so small that there was never something that I wanted to read. Like there was, but it was never something specifically designed for me. And I don't think you're gonna find that in any fan fiction, but I would always get so fed up because I'd talk to people and they'd be like, write it. And I'm like, no, I don't wanna write it, I wanna read it. Like this is not what this is. 
So I guess it's always good to hear from people because we want to know what you want to read, like what makes you kind of, I guess, itch when it comes to horror. And what do you want to see that's kind of the same thing as the prompt, but completely different in every other way? Because even if you don't find something in the first horror fan fiction that you read, you might come across another one that's the same concept, but designed and guided towards you. And make you uncomfortable. Yeah, and make you super uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the prompts that have been selected for this year? Yeah, so um, the first one we have is Creature Feature, and that I think is on a Monday. So we always do Monday through Sunday, so the full seven days. Uh, And it's a Creature Feature and Cryptids, because Cryptids are like specific to regions, I guess. They're mythology. So pretty much any type of monster story you want to go for. I know we already had a Scooby-Doo mystery, but this can be anything you want. It doesn't have to be like super cheesy Scooby-Doo-ish. Um, the second one is Unusual Familiars, and you can totally go for Harry Potter for this. I know that sounds weird, but I think uh, Patronuses are the same thing as Familiars. I'm not, I don't read Harry Potter that often, but <laughs> if you're into it, go for it. Um, it's kind of like an animal or a creature that gets you and is associated with you. Everybody has a familiar. You just have to find it. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's like online quizzes, I think, that say what familiar you have. Which is oh, there really we go. Fun we should, we should do it for the Bellas. Just figure out. <laughs> yes, are. we should figure out what their uh, familiars are. Super creepy or vampire familiars, which is a whole different thing. It's weird. <laughs> I wouldn't Google it like, personally but <laughs> it's something uh the third one's final girls which i think our inbox has been filled with a bunch of questions about final girls because uh, it's not i learned through this it's not a universal term and everybody that is on my team is from the united states so not everybody knows what a final girl is which is essentially the last girl who makes it out of the horror movie or last person it can be anybody really who uh survives and makes it to the sequel. So you can take that any way you want. <laughs> um, the next one is Possession, which is terrifying for me, and I'm going to stay away from that day. <laughs> it is horrifying. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory where you can take that one if you so choose. Uh, but I think those are the scariest horror movies and the scariest prompts, and I'm really interested to see where people take that one. And then the fifth day is Cursed Objects, which can pretty much be any object that's cursed. It can be like a chicken or something, and it can be cursed. You Somebody write it. it <laughs> Someone should do that. It's just the chicken that got cursed. That'd be cursed. great. Um, I bet Emily would be the one to find it. And well, she'd love that cursed chicken. Oh, 100%. She would not give it away, but she'd be like, this is cursed. And, you know, I understand that it turns everybody around me into chickens, but I love him. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> got to love that chicken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The chicken needs love. And then uh, number six is summer camp, which is really, oh, sorry, I have a dog. <laughs> um, so number six is summer camp, which is pretty much self-explanatory. Camp is terrifying. You're away from your parents for the first time. It's itchy. There's a weird lake that's gross. So you can do murdery. You can do pretty much anything with it. You can just have campers getting bed bugs because that's pretty scary too. <laughs> I feel it's like you've so had a lot of bad experiences with camps. 
<laughs> it's not. I only went to church camp and I got a concussion the first day. So oh, really? that was <laughs> pretty much the only thing that happened. And then uh, number seven is Haunted Circus, which clowns are inherently creepy. And so circuses in general, general I don't trust ringleaders. I don't <laughs> trust anything about it. Um, so those are the days. They're super creepy. And I'm like really excited to see where people take them. They're so varied as well. And, and what I love is they're vague enough that you can, there's so much that you could do with any one of them. Oh, for sure. It's honestly, my mind constantly runs. So every time that I see a prop like this, I instantly have like 40 ideas and then I can narrow it down to like one because I'm like, I lost the other 39. So this is it. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, I feel like it depends on where you're at too or what you're doing and kind of what you choose to do with each of the prompts and where you want to take it and what scares you the most. Because circuses and summer camp might not freak everybody out, but I feel like it, for those two specifically, uh, I feel like they are something from childhood, which freaks a lot of people out. A lot of people's fears today stem from childhood stuff that happens like creepy clowns in a basement you don't want that so <laughs> i don't know who would Probably. want that <laughs> yeah no absolutely not <laughs> but yeah it's just i think it has everything to do with how you interpret it and how you see each prompt and where you run with it and it's going to be really fascinating to see where people take it this year like i'm really excited to, for the first one just to see what kind of creatures are created or used and and where everybody kind of goes with it oh yeah i mean like i don't want to say we want to see gore because that's one of the things we don't want to see too much of but i feel like when you bring up monsters you got you gotta have something like there's <laughs> There's going to be something that goes on. We just don't know what yet. And we did do that Scooby-Doo mystery, which was really, really cool. Because people, I saw a lot of people, like, assume characters from the Bellas that are most like the Scooby-Doo characters. And it was so interesting because I was like, oh, you think, like, that one's Daphne, but not Daphne in this one. Like, it was really cool to see where people would take it. Everybody just reads it so differently. Like you said, you could see the same thing, but done slightly differently. You're twisted slightly differently from everybody it's super creepy and we're just like so excited i know it sounds weird but like we just want to see everything that everybody has to come up with and it's not just reserved for writers is it horror week you can do anything yeah you can do pretty much anything uh you can do video edits you can do um mood boards you can do i believe it's i don't believe it, it is fan art you can do uh fan art you can do pretty much whatever your heart desires, as long as it's perfect. Which is great because like anybody with any sort of talent can put something together um, from their creativity. It's not just reserved for one type of discipline. We wanted to open up to everybody because I do see a lot of people who want to participate in certain pitch perfect things. And I see like, I scroll through comments sometimes, people are like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't write. Like, okay, that's totally okay. I do think everybody can write, by the way. <laughs> but oh, uh, I was like, that's totally okay. If you're not comfortable with it, you can do anything you want. Like, because people are so passionate. And I love to see just that straight passion for something. Because I really like the idea that we all saw the same movie and we all sat there and thought this can be something more. 
That's really interesting. And I think that's one thing that I've loved about this fandom. You know, we've all connected because we saw something more in Pitch Perfect. It was something that we resonated with us in some way. We've fallen in love with it and we just kind of wanted to be in that universe. And you get to see people's creativity as they run with these characters and they build their own little scenarios or, you know, fan art or whatever it is. And we're giving life to uh, a fandom, which is at the moment kind of essentially finished, you know, as far as we know. I have noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, like you said, we're, we're giving it more life. Like we're keeping it alive. It's, it's the fans that, that do that. It genuinely makes me happy to see people that are still so engaged because the reason that I left my old fandom is because it dwindled down to, and I'm talking about like five or six people. Like there's just no one there anymore. And it sucked because that community was so supportive and then it just kind of dwindled out. And I guess because people get older and they kind of evolve in what they like, kind of what, like what I did. Um, but it is really, really nice to see everybody come together. And I have seen a lot of people in the Pitch Perfect fandom branch out into other stuff because Pitch Perfect, I don't want to say it's not a thing anymore, but as of right now, we don't have any word about the fourth one or if there's going to be a fourth one or anything in general. So people are like following the actors now and following everything else and just kind of still staying in this community and you can still get the love and support that you need for fan fiction, but it's, it's not as prevalent as it was when the movies came out. And I think that's with everything. But that's the nice thing about things like this, which give a fresh spin on something and let people look at it slightly differently than maybe they ever thought of before. Like all these prompts allow for you to then see these characters or see the Bellas or whatever in a situation that you probably never even thought of, like before looking at sort of unfamiliar familiars, you know, or unusual familiars or something like that. Yeah, it's, Definitely something that we thought about every single time we would do something like this. We actually really, really debated on canceling it this year. And I feel like if we canceled it this year, we wouldn't have done it any other year. So uh, there was just an overwhelming response that we kind of felt like we had the need to still continue it. Because the people that have stuck around and the people who are so invested in uh, stuff and like this, and are still kind of in the fandom, they deserve stuff like this because they're just so outstanding and so warm and reciprocated and they like reciprocate everything that everybody puts out there. And it's genuinely one of the most supportive fandoms, if not the most supportive fandom that I have ever been in. Really? Yeah. (laughs) There are are some other ones where it's like, you guys fight all the time? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is not normal. For me, that kind of goes along with like the message of Pitch Perfect because it's all about these girls that get together from all these different backgrounds and build a little family right there and, and mm-hmm. seeing people from all over the world who love the same thing, kind of connecting and, and stuff like that is amazing. And people are so respectful. Like, no matter what, there's always someone there that's just like, hey, it's totally okay. Like, this is pretty good. And you meet really, really kind people and like really supportive people through all of this. And everybody's just so supportive, no matter what, like you can ask advice, you can ask for help and people are just there for you, which is not saying that other fandoms aren't like that. I haven't found another one like that, but it's just interesting to see uh, 
how much of a family people can become. I think you're totally right with the message of Pitch Perfect because I think all of us really relate to them because there's someone in the main group of Bellas that match everybody kind of thing. You relate to someone from that group, no matter if it's Becca or Aubrey, Emily, Chloe, like whoever it is, like you just kind of emotional support characters, I guess. Yeah, there's always somebody that you relate to or you just, there's a connection with one of them because they're, they're all slightly different. And so somebody somewhere just really resonates with you. They're also totally real. Like the third movie specifically, like I was, I guess the timeline of the movies, I was in middle school when the first one came out and I was halfway or graduated. No, maybe halfway through high school when the second one came out. And then when the third came out, I had just graduated high school and they like made it so real and so raw of, Hey, we graduated high school and we graduated or we graduated college and life kind of sucks, but it's okay. And I was like, yeah, life does suck after you graduate college. It really does. (laughs) But that's the thing that you love about it. And then we're going to take these characters and just say, Hey, now get really scared. (laughs) Get really scared. Why is your basement haunted? Who died down there? Like, (laughs) And hey, it does kind of happen in the movie. I mean, the Bella's basement is apparently haunted. So they even talk about it. And they just casually drop that in there. They're like, here's the keys, Emily. It's haunted. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Your problem now. (laughs) You're fine. Just don't go down there. And I think I have seen some people use that before as um, one of their main story points is the basement's haunted. We don't know why. But basements are creepy. So... (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, I think if you've seen enough horror movies with a basement and what happens to people when they go down into the basement, why wouldn't you be scared? You never want to go down there. And then <laughs> landlords are always like, this is where your laundry room is. This is where you have to do laundry. Nowhere else in the house. Why is it the fuse boxes are always in the basement? I know, like it's dark. How am I supposed to get down there when it's dark? <laughs> <laughs> so when is Pitch Perfect Horror Week this time? So we pushed it back a little bit. It is from October 19th all the way to the 25th. That way you can still enjoy Halloween, but you get some time to read through everything if you want to be spooky that night and just read the entire time so people are knocking on your doors for candy. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, like it leads it quite well into Halloween week when uh, you can kind of get really into the spooky spirit. Yes, especially I feel like if you're stuck at work on Halloween, just casually read fan fiction and get terrified. Definitely. And lock your doors. <laughs> yeah, turn off the open sign. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, just like, just subtly have it there. It's okay. Just keep yeah. the spooky feel alive. <laughs> Accidentally fall on it or something, just, you know, keep it there. <laughs> and so if anybody wants to kind of keep up with it, you've got hashtags for each of the days. So people who are creating stuff, they can put it with the hashtag and then you guys pick it up for sure we definitely try to see every single submission if for some reason we don't please tag us because we're definitely we all of us go through it and all of us try to reblog and keep up with who reblogged what uh but sometimes we just don't see them if you do use the hashtags beside each day we'll see them a lot better uh just so we can track them and we can make sure that we're giving you guys the recognition that you deserve and I love that. I love that you've started this thing, but it, there's a big feel that you want to keep that community there and, and highlight anybody who has taken the time to create something for Horror Week. 
Yeah, if you take time out of your day to uh, kind of indulge us and kind of uh, tap into your inner dark side and just really go for it, we definitely appreciate the effort and want to show you how much we appreciate it. Uh, we, we don't have any prizes or anything, which would be great, but <laughs> somebody sponsored all the other fan fiction. <laughs> you get to read new content. <laughs> <laughs> which we always love we're always hungry for new content so like anything oh yeah great. especially people who read so fast like sometimes i'll post something and they'll be like we need more and i'm like how how did you <laughs> get through that like it took me two weeks to write and you read it in five minutes <laughs> you're like hold on guys let me just my fingers are falling off like, like. <laughs> yeah and i i have an issue with starting a lot of fan fictions and never finishing them so oh you're one of those I am one, one of those, those. yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> and I always leave them on cliffhangers because I'm horrible at it. Oh no, you're one of those people as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I have fan fiction from like two years ago where people still comment and they're like, what's happening? What is, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not really though, are you? Because you love it. Yeah, not really. I mean, I like, <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, maybe soon I'm really busy and I'm like looking at the 48 other fan fictions I haven't finished. So what is it about horror that you enjoy? Um, I like that feeling of uncomfortableness, I guess. <laughs> that feeling of not being able to sit still because people read and write a bunch of things to get something out of it. You're not just going to pick up a book for the heck of it you're picking it up for a reason because the cover attracts you or just because the storyline attracts you. If you like fairy tales and all those dystopian fairy tale novels that people are coming out with now, that's interesting because you see something in that character. And I think that when it comes to horror, I don't want to say it can happen to anybody, but anything can happen. So when you're reading something and you pick up like a horror book from the 1800s you're not going to be shocked if you pick up a horror book that came out in the last week you're going to be horrified <laughs> so it's just kind of one of those things where you read to gain emotion and I think you write to work out those emotions so it's just something about that eerie unsettling feeling draws me in even if I'm like oh, okay I shouldn't have read that now I can't sleep <laughs> but it's worth it <laughs> yeah I just I've never really done horror but I have enjoyed reading fix from horror week but i i am like the worst person to have watching a horror movie it's just <laughs> it's kind of hard to sit through you have to like rationalize a lot of things and that's i think a way people get through writing and reading and watching horror is you either make a joke about it or you get horrified to the core so <laughs> are there like in the horror genre what are the areas that you really enjoy is um hmm that is a good question <laughs> I am a sucker for a good werewolf book, no matter what. Uh, over the years, werewolves and vampires have turned into something that you're attracted to instead of uh, something that scares you. And it started out as that main monster, like this is something that's supposed to be scary. They drain your blood. They turn you into beasts. They will literally rip you to shreds, but kind of cute. So <laughs> we're going for it. So I guess that kind of thing, I'm super tropey with that. I think... Uh, my favorite thing ever is kind of history within horror. Um, so like Dracula 
became a thing because the author was in, uh, I think it was maybe Massachusetts, and he came across a town that wholeheartedly believed that this little girl was undead and that she was sucking people's blood out and killing them, except it was really just the scarlet fever. But he left that town thinking, what if there was a creature that did this? So it's just kind of like the, the lore and the history behind it. Like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like that's pretty scary. And that's like a classic monster you have. But the way that people have changed it and evolved it, and it's the same thing I feel like with fairy tales, like from Beauty and the Beast, you have the original fairy tale, which is horrifying. And then you have the Disney remake. And then I think in like 2016, you have the hot boy living in the room. And Vanessa Hudgens loves him thing. <laughs> so I think all horrors kind of evolved into people falling in love with stuff that they don't understand. And I think it's a coping mechanism for one. <laughs> and for two, I think it's just really intriguing because uh, I see a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'd love to be a vampire. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I'd be like, yeah, because it's something otherworldly and it's something other than yourself, I guess. That's really interesting. And um, I think horror as a genre has such a lengthy history. Like you said, there's the, the classic gothic horror and the monsters that were built up that you've seen evolved as we look to today and, and how people have changed and twisted these classic things that were there originally and, and creating new stuff. And yeah, there's just such a, a deep history there that you can kind of draw upon. Oh yeah, and people, I think the thing that interests me most about horror is the fact that people use it to explain away everything. Like, there's always, especially Emily Dickinson, uh, so infatuated with death, like absolutely in love with it. And she personified it. And that was something that people have been doing since the 1800s, is creating something tangible, because you don't know what happens after death. You don't know where you're going to go. I mean, depending on religion and everything like that, everybody has their different beliefs. But at the end of the day, it's easier to make things more, I guess it's easier to make the pill go down if you know what it is. So like people who personify death, they're like, yes, that is that person. And you can like defeat a physical person. And then uh, same thing with vampires. The, the thought of living forever really help people deal with death and I think that it's evolved like over time kind of thing and then there are just people who want to be scared which is great but there's like this whole other side to horror that really interests me to the point where people create these monsters for a reason because they're either afraid to deal with something that's really happening in life or they're just like afraid in general of what's going on like something they can't explain and I think that's happened forever like people mass hysteria has happened forever because of specific things like death like people would put iron cages over coffins because they were afraid people as vampires would come back and kill them and i'm like guys was there something in the water <laughs> what is this but it's really interesting because if you go to an old cemetery which i don't do often because i don't mess with that stuff but you'll see like little posts beside graves or like um little iron cages over the grave stones so people couldn't get out and then those little posts is where people used to hang bells everybody had such an irrational fear of accidentally burying someone alive because medical technology wasn't there so they would put a bell 
and lead the string down to the coffin. And if you wake up, you can ring the bell. So it's just like, just horror in general and the whole entire stemming of people's scariest things have to come from somewhere. And tracing that back is really interesting to me. That's fascinating. I've never really heard horror in that way. The idea that it stems from a fear or something that is there that you've built this, this thing up to. For sure. And people, uh, certain movies really play on that too. Like, um, specifically the Final Destination movies. I won't watch those. But it's based off of irrational fear. Like, the one I remember the most is driving behind that uh, wood, that truck with the logs on it. Oh, yeah. And, and that was like... falling off. Yeah. Right? Like, horrifying. But that's built off of the irrational fear that that could happen. That's like if you're driving down the street and your mind wanders. There's a one in a million chance it's going to happen, but what if it did kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of people play into fear and where people have always played into fear. And it's just interesting like from a psychological point of view what causes people's phobias you must find it fascinating when you then get to horror week and you get these all these fix coming in and you're like delving into like i wonder where how they got there and what they're trying to say you know (laughs) for sure and i'm not gonna lie sometimes and i don't want to freak anybody out with this sometimes we try to psychoanalyze (laughs) some of the submissions that come in and we don't go like full into it but we're like okay you don't like dark spaces. Why? <laughs> why is this happening? Like, why is your story taking place in a cabin? Why is it not in a lighthouse? Like, why did you pick that? And a lot of that has to do with regions that you're from, too, because you write what you're familiar with. I used to live on the beach, so I write a lot about stuff on the beach. But I've noticed since I've been in the middle of a Western state for, like, maybe a year and a half now, my writing has changed a lot because of the environment around me. Like I see snow again. So more stuff happens during the winter or like I don't have water here. So I have water, but there's no water around. So it's more of a like somber cabin feel. There's, you can pick beach or mountains. Either way, you're going to get two separate stories. If you give someone a slasher fic, you say, Hey, I read a slasher fic, do it at the beach though going to be completely different than if you say hey do it in the woods mm, yeah and it must be yeah then you sort of go into i wonder why they were inspired to go the route that they decided to take for sure and we've seen a lot of uh stuff stem out of random scenes there are two different big writers i've noticed people that just dive right in and then people who describe like describe everything and i think for the one that describes everything it's always a horrifying scene of something that they've definitely encountered, like walking home and feeling like you're watched. That's horrifying. Like you've been through that and you have that feeling like someone might not have been there, but what if you're writing something and in that writing, you decide something was there. Like, it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. Especially if it's taken from some sense of a personal experience and then playing on that twist of, you know, the what if, what if something was there? What if something did happen? And I think that when it's like closest to what would normally happen in, in real life and just twisting it is when it can be really scary. Yeah, and our favorite thing to do too is uh, instead of the what if, we do what isn't because we have, like, especially in my little group of people that run this, we've realized that people try to rationalize things. And I think everybody does that every single day. You always try to rationalize it. And if that is with like 
ghost or anything like that, then that's completely fine. But if you go in the other direction, it's like, what if it isn't just the wind? What if it isn't my imagination? So you like 100% have different ways of interpreting different types of horror and what it means to you to be scared. Which is amazing. And it's going to be really exciting to see how it all transpires over Horror Week. Yeah, I'm super excited. This is making me excited as well. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. I think, honestly, these are the best prompts that we've had the entire time. So really? Hopefully, yeah, hopefully we pull through and get some pretty creepy stuff. So what has been some of the highlights of Horror Week over the past few years? I think the main thing is the response. It's uh, something that we didn't expect in the first place. So any type of response is always great for us. Like, uh, I think the most rewarding thing is getting people back into writing because I know I get into certain moments of my life where I get up, I go to work, I go home, I go to sleep. And I think everybody has that pattern. It might not be the same one, but it's kind of the same aspect. So when we see people responding to what we post saying, I think this is going to get me back into writing. That's great because I know that when you're writing and you're like an English student, people tell you, you have to write every day, but that's sometimes not plausible. So having, um, I guess, motivation to write something like this and to get people back into writing and get people back into their passions is always very rewarding for us. Yeah, just given that little spark of a challenge or something that just gives somebody some inspiration to, to run with. Yeah, it's definitely, some people work better with the prompts, which is great. Like, I know a lot of the fic writers that are currently in the Pitch Perfect fandom ask for prompts and people send them in and then they respond to that. And that's kind of the thing where like, hey, I'm tired, but I still want to write for you and I still want to create content for you and I still want to therapeutically do this. So what do you want to see? And I think that's another big thing is creating something that um, kind of sparks people's interest and gives them a medium to explore a side of them and explore a side of their life and uh, kind of get into it. And I think that's where Pitch Perfect Horror kind of stands on its own is because it's so different than probably what most people are writing in the fandom. So you know, whether you're doing an angsty fic or romantic comedy or a romance or anything like that, suddenly you have this week where you can literally kind of throw a lot of that out the window in some sense and take these characters and go, okay, what happens if you chuck them with a werewolf or a monster or a slasher or, you know, whatever it is happening, you know, ghosts, how would they react? What are they going to do in this situation? Yeah, it definitely, I think even for me, like it pushes me out of my boundaries and I primarily write horror because I have like certain things that I stick with and certain things that I like, but I would never write about possession because it terrifies me. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's just one of those things where I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Sure. <laughs> but I think for a lot of people, especially people who uh, have been in the fandom for a while and they do write primarily like coffee shop AUs and neat cutes which are adorable and I love it uh, but it definitely gives them a moment to think outside of the box like what if you do leave that coffee shop and it's cute at the beginning but what if like I don't know something starts following you afterwards or something like that like I do love the misdirect in a lot of fan fiction like okay this starts off as normal and I think like it also gives a lot of people 
time to focus on one character or one ship. Because what we do see a lot of is this view of just a little bit into both of them. But if you have a character that's isolated in a cabin and they're by themselves, you have to know that character inside and out. You have to know how they're going to react if they hear scratching at the door. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah, that's really interesting, especially when, like you said, if you're left with one character or, you know, they're spaced out and you have to focus on what one, one reaction is, the idea that you'd have to know that character well enough to be able to write that and or gives you the challenge to then really delve into that character and explore and, and think about how do you see them reacting and how do you see them playing out this? Are they going to sort of grab an object? Are they going to try and escape? Like, it really helps, makes you dissect these characters and then kind of really explore it in your mind. Yeah, and I feel like that's what we're trying to push with day three, which is the final girls, because you have one person left. How are they going to react if they're, it's only them up against the killer? Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? Are you going to run? Are you going to think logically? You're going to be stupid and like <laughs> hide somewhere or something. <laughs> I don't know. And I think that's always really hard because sometimes you just have to sit back and think, how honestly would I react if I was in danger? Because everybody reacts different to fear and everybody reacts different to being in that situation. So I think with that day specifically, we're going to see a lot into people like the writers themselves, because it's mainly how they would react along with how they think the characters would. And I know when we were speaking before, you mentioned that it was really interesting to see writers that had most of the time written fluff or written a certain way and seeing them taking on a challenge and bring out a whole new side of themselves. For sure. So everybody, I feel like this is really cheesy. I feel like everybody has a dark side. Uh, no matter how small it can be, I feel like Chloe might not have much of a dark side, but she does because the fact of the matter is everybody's been through stuff. Oh, we've done a whole episode on the dark side of Chloe Beale. It's like <laughs> I did see that. She definitely has a dark side. Um, and I just, I feel like not many people see it. And this sounds really, really bad. I don't know if you touched on this or not, but the happiest people are the scariest. And I feel like that's another thing that we want to delve into possibly in future uh, prompts, like possibly next year is, the nicest people and the people that you least expect to have something dark behind them can be that person. And not like to the point of murder, but definitely to the point of indulging in creepy stuff. Yeah, well, we definitely talked about the idea of her having a twisted... I mean, you see it a little bit, especially Pitch Perfect 2 and 3, where she just mm -hmm. loses it just a little bit. You see them a mask slipping and you're just like, there's something, there's something going on in there. <laughs> You for sure, there's something happening in her head where you're like, okay, you're not okay. What's going on? <laughs> like, maybe you need to, like, talk to a therapist a little bit. Like, and I feel like people think that Aubrey's the unhinged one. Yes, she definitely is. She, I feel like she has, uh, like, definitely a compulsive side to her. But I also feel like people downplay Chloe and what she's capable of. Which is why I think in one of my fan fictions, I made her the werewolf. I was like, okay, cool. You can be the wolf. You got that. She's that got the mane though, hasn't she? It. She's got the hair. Like, yeah. And the what puppy dog say? eyes. Yes, it has to be the puppy dog eyes. And I think most of those one shots were super fluffy. And like, just Becca learning how to live with a werewolf. But other ones were like dark. And like, 
oh yeah, so my girlfriend's a werewolf, what do I do now? What happened? <laughs> the thing is though, I would just imagine Becca just being so like clueless and awkward trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah, oh, <laughs> super chill about it. She'd be like, dude, why do you scratch your ear like that? <laughs> yeah. You kind of smell like wet dog today. Do you need deodorant? Like, <laughs> super clueless. So with regards to Horror Week then, is there anything that you'd like to see? Is there anything you're just like, oh, I, I would love to see that if somebody did it? Um, not specifically other than something super eerie. Uh, we've always kind of, we're getting used to the whole gory thing, which we do allow some gore and like the slasher aspect of it. But ones that we really, really want to see is something that freaks you out, not makes you sick stomach-wise. I guess if that makes sense, we're kind of looking for something that if you're sitting there reading a book and you turn around because you think someone's behind you and they're not. So just that feeling, like I really, really respect authors and artists and anybody who can create that feeling with their medium of choice. And it's just kind of a thing where you want to, you go to horror for some aspect to be uncomfortable and a lot of horror genres are leaning into that silence lately. Uh, Bird Box, I don't know if you remember that blowing up with Sandra Bullock. And that was about taking a sense away. And I think that scared a lot of people too. And the book was so eerie. And I think a lot of the time, a way to achieve that like spine chilling suspense kind of thing is to not give away your monster and to not give away the evil because at the very end of the day, maybe it's just you kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what we're looking for is something that's out of the box. Uh, we'll take anything, by the way. But, <laughs> you uh, don't have to do this. But... To do this <laughs> I think that's one thing I've noticed with horror especially is they'll take a long time before you see the evil or you see the monster. And it's that whole buildup that you get. I mean, I'm a big fan of Stranger Things and yes, you don't yes. necessarily see the monster till like, a good halfway through the first season because it alludes to it and that's what builds that fear is this fear of something that you've never seen exactly and it's like what is that and the other horrifying part of not revealing your monster at the very start is i guess building an atmosphere so stranger things specifically their atmosphere is incredible like just the whole 80s vibe, they've completely nailed it. They've nailed everything with the flashing lights, the suspense with that. It's, and they have very, very likable characters. And I think that's another thing that we're kind of looking for is we want to know the surroundings that your characters are in. Like, yes, we want to focus on the monsters. Yes, we want to focus on the familiars. But where are they? Are they, are they in a bookshop? Like what kind of books are on the shelves? Like I want to imagine that I'm there. I obviously want to interpret it, but we're also looking for atmospheres that encompass different eras. Like I'm a sucker for the eighties. <laughs> I am a huge sucker for the 1800s. So it's just kind of one of those things where you got to lean into it and you got to create that aspect because if you don't know your surroundings, you don't know when something's off in those surroundings. That's a really, really good point. I think also that's a real fascinating challenge for a writer because I think especially when you're writing around the Barden universe, you just assume people already know it. So you don't have to necessarily spend the time to describe the characters or to describe the atmosphere because they know what the quad looks like or something like that. <laughs> Whereas 
especially building suspense. I love what you said about the idea of you don't know something's wrong until you know the environment and building that suspense. You have to be able to describe that and you have to be able to put across when something's a little bit off or when the atmosphere changes. And that could be a real exciting challenge for a writer or a creator to try and get that across in some way. It really makes you kind of play into your five senses, which I feel like a lot of uh, movies are doing this nowadays, which is taking one of those five senses away. Like in Bird Box, you can't see. In A Quiet Place, you can't talk. In I think there's a bunch of movies where you're literally plunged into darkness and you can't do anything about it. So taking away something that you're so familiar is horrifying, but you don't know where you're at unless you like pay attention to it I feel like as people if we're in a room and like say you're in your bedroom you're familiar with every aspect of that and you get freaked out when something even if you misplace your keys you're like I always put my keys there someone took my keys immediately when that's not the case you just kept them in your pocket so I think as humans our minds go to the worst place first which sounds horrible but <laughs> If your windows are open and you don't remember opening your windows, you search the house or something like that. So I think playing on those five senses and describing those five senses is so important when it comes to horror, especially when it comes to, I feel like the circus is such a, like an enigmatic place to start and an enigmatic place to have like a story and I've always leaned towards it because you can smell popcorn you can feel the dirt under your feet you can hear the music and you can feel how cold the air is around you and it's just depending on what season you're in too so I'm really I think we're really looking for people to lean into that and lean into that description and kind of uh get to a place where they can envision it perfectly when they're writing and I know not a lot of people write like that I don't know uh I know there are different types of writers who don't see it as clearly as other people, but if you can, we definitely encourage you to, uh, to kind of use that to your advantage. Yeah. Like take on the challenge and see if you can create these little worlds or, or this environment to explore that type of suspense that you probably wouldn't need to in any other genre. For sure. And I know a lot of people, if you go to school for English, sometimes you get in trouble for being too descriptive. And I don't think that's fair. And I also think <laughs> that, um, you know, just let it all out. Like, tell us what you see. Like, is the grass dead? Is it alive? Like, if you're writing about a haunted house, is it a Victorian house? Does it have stained glass windows? What is the porch blue? Like, what is happening? And I think that's so important because not only are you drawing from your own personal experience of different things that scared you, but you're also bringing the person who's reading it into your world. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about reading Horror Week last year was a completely different environment that you could buy into. I, mean, I remember reading one where they, I think it was in a shop or something and then clothes came to life and it was like, but they were really good at kind of drawing you in. And you, even though it felt bizarre, you could imagine it happening. And it was just like... Yeah, yeah I, was, I think that's a good sign of Horror Week is if it, if it feels bizarre, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> it's weird, but especially in a place like a store or like it's something that I do often, which I know not everybody's brain works like this. Whenever I go into a new place like a coffee shop, because coffee shops in little towns are cute. Uh, if you go in, 
list off five things that you notice immediately, even if it's the floor, if it's the way the air smells, if it's if it's hot or cold, if there's an air conditioning unit, like look around you and notice. And I think that's like a huge thing with horror is you you realize something that's completely normal and then you twist it into something that's not. And that's so important. And I just think even in life in general, life becomes a lot more enjoyable when you start looking around. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And of course, like people can kind of throw these prompts around and see what they want to do with them, whether they want to kind of go down into the real horror route and explore that. Or if they want to go for the cheesy side, that's fine too. Like, what I love is you get a whole spectrum of fix for Horror Week. Exactly. And we just, honestly, any way you interpret it, we're down. Like, there's, especially unusual familiars, that can be as funny or as cheesy or anything that you want, pretty much. And it's just, your fear plays into how you go for it. What are your Halloween or horror headcanons? So definitely the basement being haunted. I think Emily goes down there no matter what, even against their rules. <laughs> uh, and she might get a little bit haunted. I think that for sure, Becca stays home and Chloe takes the kids out for trick-or-treating. She hates Halloween. There's no way around. Do you reckon, do you reckon Becca's like, I'm not dressing up? Like, come on. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think when she's in the costume, she ends up enjoying it more than she wants to lead on but she's just like grumpy the entire time. She's like, I am not going into a Halloween store. Halloween's like for companies only, like it's a fraud. And I think Chloe's just 100% like, no, we're doing this. Like you have no choice here. I think Aubrey would definitely throw a Halloween party, but she'd do it super meticulously to the point where everybody would have flashcards. <laughs> that would be super fun. Uh, I think same thing she works through halloween and every pretty much holiday and if we're talking about jumpson emily would definitely go and try to cheer her up but she would end up screwing up and freaking her out even more because she thinks someone broke in um hmm. i think they would all have like a halloween cookie decorating party and it would end horribly with stomach aches but other than that i don't know if i have any more i love it I love the whole idea of just Emily just being the so innocent one and yet just things will happen to her. For sure. And I think um, me and a couple other people before Horror Week started, we did this thing. Um, we do this in everyday life too, which sounds really weird. Uh, especially working in retail, sometimes we get bored. So when people walk by, we would play this game called Witch, Vampire, or Werewolf. And we did it with the Bellas too. We were like, yeah, <laughs> would that be Witch, Vampire, or Werewolf? And we figured them all out and eventually ran with it. Oh, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's really, it's a fun game if you ever play it. It's super simple, especially if you're by yourself. And also if you're with another person, you're like, hey, that person looks like a witch or a werewolf. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so who was everybody then in your, uh, in, Ooh, in the balance? I think I said Chloe was a werewolf. I think we said Becca could either be werewolf or vampire, but leaning more towards vampire broody and aubrey i think also vampire stacy was a witch uh emily was a witch jessica and ashley i think we also said werewolf just because like that pack mentality kind of thing i think cynthia rose was also a witch i don't remember the rest 
We've got a good collection there, though. I think that's, yeah, that's we've quite got, good. Yeah, we got a pretty good collection. I think I did write a fan fiction for Horror Week last year that turned into an actual fan fiction about uh, Emily, Aubrey, Becca, and Chloe discovering that they have powers, like witch powers, <laughs> which is super fun, and they have to stop the world from ending. I love it. It's almost, yeah. like, it's almost like Power Rangers, but spooky. Yeah. <laughs> exactly like Power Rangers, but spooky. Yes. We've got a magic shop instead of a lair. So. I want to I see Ghostbusters AU. I want, I want there to be a Bella's Ghostbusters. Oh, I've done, um, for, again, Horror Week last year, I think I did uh, a Ghost Hunters AU, but they were more like Ghost Adventures instead of Ghostbusters. And Beth was like, oh my God, Emily, we have to share a bed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. This is trophy. <laughs> like there's only one bed and it's haunted. So, so sorry. Oh no. Well, how is that going to turn out? <laughs> okay. So if the Bellas were in a slasher movie, which ones would survive and which ones would die? Because there is like mm-hmm. an order, isn't there, in a slasher movie? 100%. Uh, the person who has sex first dies immediately. So Stacy and I'm going to say Cynthia Rose, they're both out. They're <laughs> <gone>. <laughs> um, I think that middle grounds, good middle grounds maybe, is Jessica and Ashley. Like they could definitely get like, if we're talking about like horror anthology, like show wise, episode two or three, 100%. <laughs> like they're the nice neighbors that happen to die. And then uh, I think... After that, Chloe and Emily, they gotta go. They're out. The two nicest characters are gonna not gonna make it. They're not, and I feel like I feel like Emily goes before Chloe does. <laughs> Chloe has that dark side, so I feel like she's got that smarts going on. Uh, not that Emily doesn't, but I feel like Emily would be like, you know, let's make friends with the killer. What if we find out why they're killing people and try to fix it? And Chloe would just be like, okay, I'm kind of on your side. But if we don't, within the next hour, we have to run. So I think Emily and then Chloe. And I think the top spot, the final girl, is between Aubrey and Becca. Because they're kick-ass. <laughs> Sorry for the language, but they are. Um, and I feel like one of the things that bothered a lot of people in Pitch Perfect 3 was the fact that Aubrey didn't fight back. Like, I was like, girl, you yeah. have military training. Why are you just sitting there freaking out? Like, hug Emily more, but also, why are you just sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I spoke to a lot of people, and they're like, in an apocalypse, if there was an apocalypse AU, Aubrey would be the one with the big guns. Oh, 100%. She'd be the one that would, like, control everything. And I feel like they completely threw everybody's character out the window for the third <laughs> movie. They were like, you know what, Becca, you're going to be the nice one. And Chloe, you're not going to have a plot. And Aubrey, you're just going to sit there. <laughs> like, okay, cool. That's great. But yeah, no, I think that, um, yeah, Aubrey would make it to the end 100%. Becca, I feel like, would too. And especially in that camp fan fiction that I wrote, they were the two that had the most, they were at each other's throats because I still wanted to keep that uh, that first movie dynamic with the two of them. Uh, Aubrey wasn't necessarily the villain. The villain was the killer, but she was definitely the one that was like, Becca's doing this. This is Becca. Like pointing fingers and... <laughs> I mean, Becca was the one with the gun. So either way, I think both of them would make it to the end. And I teamed them up, too, in the second one, because I had them at odds with each other. And I was like, you know what? Love each other in this one. Go along. <laughs> like, you're fine. So, 
I, it's one thing that I always found of the shame of in the movies is because you know by the end of Pitch Perfect One they have resolved their differences because it was really the musical difference. There wasn't a lot else there. And so yeah. you kind of, it's alluded to, but you don't really get to see them having that friendship that they had by the end of it. It's fascinating that it is those two that you would have survived. And I could totally see it though, because like, they are the two that you can throw the most horrific things at and you can write it. Like whenever you see stuff written, it's usually Becca or Aubrey that go through a whole heap of rubbish. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like people do that because they're like, oh, we can't do that to Chloe. She's so <laughs> like, oh no, we can't do that to Emily. But what if we did? But no, <laughs> it's just, it's so much. And I, when I was first learning the dynamic between all of them, I, this is another one that I abandoned because I'm like this. Um, <laughs> Chloe was evil and Aubrey was like straight on evil and they went to a boarding school and they would like belong to a boarding school where they had like the order of a snake and they were like full leaning on to I'm evil and my father's the headmaster and he's evil and we're really just luring you to your own death kind of thing. And I never finished it because as I got further into the fandom, I was like, I can't do that to Emily. I'm like, man, can't hurt her like that. <laughs> like, that's so sad. And I had such a good plot. And like, Becca was the final girl. And I was just like, yeah, this is great. And I was like, oh, but I might revisit it later because <laughs> I don't want to change it. But like, just give people fair warning. You're probably just going to like, be horrified and scarred after reading this. I was like, fair warning, this does not have a happy ending. Like, no one makes it, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you expect? They're evil snake people. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I feel like Becca's got the scrappiness as well yes, aspect to okay. her, whereas Aubrey's, Aubrey would, would have the training and the sort of methodical way of kind of dealing with it. She'd instantly go into G.I. Joe mode, I think, which is we're doing this, 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 and also this. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, just to remind people, like, if they want to get involved, like, how can they do it? Where is it all taking place and everything? Yeah, so everything you need to know about Pitch Perfect Horror Week is on a Tumblr called Pitch Perfect Horror Week. It's pretty, pretty easy to find. It's at the very top of the whole entire page. And at the bottom of every single post we have, we do link it to the other two years of submissions too, if you wanna check those out. Uh, we also answer questions as soon as we get them. So if you have any of those, you can just click any links that are in the top of the page or anywhere along the bottom. And we can answer those questions for you. Love it. Thank you so, so much. And I am so excited to see how it's gonna turn out this year. Yeah, me too, it's gonna to be great. And if they want to check out your stuff, they just need to look you at Unholy Hellbig. Yeah, so um, I do have that Tumblr page, Unholy Hellbig. It's kind of uh, cluttered right now with pretty much everything that I watch, which is a lot. So uh, if you guys just want to check out my fan fiction, you can go to Unholy Hellbig on AO3, or you can just search up Camp Beaverbrook and it'll pop up. There you go. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. <laughs> Checking out some fan fiction this week, some things that I really enjoyed reading included It's 3am I Must Be Lonely by Becca's Belt. The summary says, 
It really is getting late, and Becca knows that she really should be getting to bed. But Chloe's really cute, and her essay isn't done anyway. Or a gradual love story told over math problems and note cards. This is a cute one-shot story. And what I will say is, I never knew Becca could be good at maths. She's like a maths genius whiz on this fic. And who knew that uh, being good at maths could potentially work in your favour, as it seems to here. It's a very cute story of a sort of collection of little moments where Becca and Chloe end up studying together in different scenarios. It takes you through a certain amount of time during the Barden years... But I also really love how you just have these little moments when they could choose to just let the other person study. Like it starts off with Becca going to a coffee shop to get herself some coffee. And while she's there, she just kind of has this thought of actually, you know what? I'm going to, I know Chloe's studying. I'm going to get her a cup of coffee too. And that just starts off this whole little love story playing out. I mean, we've all been there. The late night study sessions, whether it's for school or uni or college, I don't know how we all end up doing it, but it is a thing. And it's lovely to see these little moments where you get to read Becca and Chloe or the Bellas doing such typical studenty things. And then it just being a little twist with the love story aspects as well. You never know, like, this could really happen. This is why you need to be good at maths, clearly. And what I love as you're reading through the story, you get, like, the little bits where this could flourish into something more like you can see their friendship developing you know the feelings are there and there's like little looks or little gestures but everybody's too afraid to do anything because who knows it's got the classic little bits of pining in there I mean it's and it's all just a little bit fluffy so like if you're just looking for something fun and uplifting this is a great story to go to both of them slightly oblivious at times or too afraid to make the first move. It also kind of follows a little bit with aspects of Pitch Perfect 2 being thrown in there just a little bit. One of my favourite moments is when Chloe's having a bit of a breakdown because she doesn't think she's going to pass her exam and Becca has to be the one to kind of coax her through this and just be like, you, look... You've been intentionally failing for X amount of years. You've got this. Like, the teacher doesn't even know how you've never passed this exam. You've got it. Just don't intentionally fail this time. And she gives Chloe some advice about being brave. And I love that because later on in the story, it gets turned around on her. And she then has to be the brave one. And you get this kind of moment as they're coming to the end of college where they're reminiscing of all these moments and realising that actually there were so many moments when they both wanted to act and maybe they didn't. And the feelings were both mutually there and it just like all comes together. It's a great fun fic to read. I definitely enjoyed it. And it just proves, you know, there are other reasons you study maths, like here. Being good at maths could help you find your Chloe. The next story for this week is called All the Pretty Girls Are by Please Act Surprised on AO3. The summary says Chloe is a horrible driver. Becca makes a confession when she is terrified for her life 
in the passenger seat. This story was so funny, partly because I love the idea that Chloe could be a horrible driver because she seems to be good at a lot of things. She kind of got it together a little bit. She's good. She's she's exercising. She's great at choreography and dancing and singing and all this stuff. So the idea that she would be really, really bad at something like driving just allows for hilarity to like ensue. Becca's got it bad for her and she kind of gets herself in a little bit of a predicament. And it talks about in the story how like, although Becca loves Chloe and thinks the world of her, she's learnt to never let Chloe drive. So either she'll drive or she'll call one of the other Bellas. This is kind of during Becca's junior year. So she's kind of got the idea of Chloe and she doesn't want to upset Chloe. She doesn't want to like hurt her feelings. But at the same time, she has to worry about her own life. And when I say that Chloe is a horrible driver, my initial thought when I saw the summary of the story is like, okay, yeah, she's, she's fairly bad. Like, I've been in the car with some people who are not good drivers. But when you read this and actually what Chloe's driving is like, this is way worse than I think I've ever been in a car with someone. I mean, she is that bad. Like, she is so bad. Like, it's genuinely dangerous. Like, I can understand why Becca is so scared. Add to that the idea that maybe she's, uh, she's having a rough time of it. Feelings are getting a little bit too much. She ends up trying to drown her sorrows at a bar and needs a lift home. You know, number one... <laughs> She doesn't want to get in a car with Chloe B driving. Number two, she's a little bit tipsy. So this is all going to come to a head. And this all happens in the space of Chloe picking her up to trying to get back to the Bella's house. And it is so funny. I mean, Becca's kind of losing her mind because she doesn't even know if she's going to make it out alive. But also she loves this girl. And <laughs> Chloe's just a little bit oblivious to the fact that Becca's having a bit of a nightmare on the side, <laughs> driving really badly. And then, of course, when Becca makes a confession, not only is Chloe bad at driving, but then she's distracted. Like, it all just comes together. All I will say is how Chloe, at the end of this fic, only got away with getting a warning from the police, I will never know. I'm sure she just flashed her eyes and gave them a pout and they were all good. But I loved reading this story. It was so much fun. It's called See Me In Hindsight, Tangled Up With You All Night By A Simple Favour. The summary says, the times Becca finds herself in Chloe's bed and one time she finds herself in her own. This is a really cute story. What I love about this story is it takes just the simple idea of every scene happens around a bed. This one kind of goes a little bit deeper. There's a bit of kind of angst there as it goes through the story. I love how it plays out through a number of years of Becca's life, starting off with the very first time she ends up falling asleep in Chloe's bed. And you get to kind of get these little glimpses of Becca at different stages, whether it's her freshman year, the Barden years, Brooklyn, like... It goes through all of those little scenes that we remember from the movies, but also 
you get to see how Becca has grown through each of the movies as well. Like, where she's a little bit more cautious at the beginning and, like, would never have even slept in Chloe's bed if she hadn't just fallen asleep to having a rough time with Jesse and and mixed feelings happening around there and being in Brooklyn madly in love with Chloe and not knowing what to do about it and all these little scenes play out. One point in the story that really stands out to me is when she's living in Brooklyn and kind of the pain that she's experiencing having to sleep next to Chloe every single night. And while that's great at some points, when then Chloe has to go on a date... Becca just doesn't know what to do with herself. She's, like, stuck in bed. She doesn't want to go to sleep because she wants to make sure Chloe's okay. She wishes Chloe was there. She wants Chloe to have a good time, but then if Chloe doesn't come home, that means she's gone to sleep with this guy, and it's just kind of causing her a whole world of just, like, a headache. There's also moments during the story where Becca gives Chloe a certain amount of pain as well. And it's like really sad to see the conflict that seems to carry on for quite a number of years. It's a really interesting take on telling a Chloe story. And I love the way they kind of pulled it all together at the end. Just kind of like capped it off really, really nicely. It was a really lovely way at the end of the story how they kind of brought it all together. And that all of this storyline, all the angst, all the pain... The confusion that happens then ends up in a lovely conclusion of of how it kind of just ties everything together and just says, and now this is where we are. The final story, which is actually one based on a classic dance tune, it's called I'm in the Corner Watching You Kiss Her by Chloe Beale. The summary says, Becca is quietly in love with her best friend slash roommate. They go out for drinks after a long week of work. What could possibly go wrong? This is another take on a sort of jealous Becca scenario. We had one last week. We're going there again. I mean, because who doesn't love a little bit of pining and misinformation as people just don't know their feelings? And I love how in this story, like, of course they're going to be going out and just enjoying themselves sometimes. They live in New York, like Brooklyn. And it's all going fantastic until Chloe ends up kissing a girl. What I think is really interesting is they have this kind of lovey dynamic. They're used to just spending the time with each other. And they're having, like, a great time. Beck is being awkward as usual. But it's not until somebody else shows up that Becca suddenly is a bit like, wait a second that shouldn't be happening. What's really interesting is you get a lovely dynamic from Becca and Chloe during the story, especially at the beginning, but not necessarily that they know their feelings for each other. And it's not until she sees Chloe kissing another girl that she gets really rattled by it. And I think one of the reasons for that is like Becca was harboring these feelings, but always assumed Chloe was straight, so thought she never had a chance. And so the idea that Chloe would be kissing a girl suddenly kind of sends Becca in this spiral where she's like, maybe I was never kind of good enough or she would never like me in that way. It wasn't now just a case of, well, she's straight, she'd never like me. And so she just ends up in this downward spiral. And I love how it kind of plays along with the song. I mean, Dancing On My Own is a classic song by Robin, recently covered by Callum Scott. And seeing that played out in a Chloe situation was just like, it's so painful and sad. I mean, the song is already a little bit sad. And so you just feel for poor Becca. She ends up going back to the apartment and kind of from there, 
And I love how sweet Chloe is in this story. I mean, okay, yeah, she ends up kissing this other girl and it opens up this whole can of worms. But also, when Chloe notices that there's something wrong with Becca, as as she will do, she knows her so well. She does all these lovely sweet things to just make sure her friend is all right. You have this lovely drawn-out scene near the end where Chloe wants to know what's wrong. She's trying to do all this lovely stuff for Becca. And between the two of them, they're kind of dancing around the subject. And how do you kind of broach into the idea that, okay, I think I know what's wrong, but you're not going to tell me. Do you have feelings? Because I have feelings. Like, it's all there. And you're just kind of waiting for it to come out. You're just like, come on, guys, you got this. And what I love is just how slowly the build-up is from their conversation for the sweet things that are happening and how the author just builds it up to that moment that you know is coming, the revealing of feelings and stuff like that, and you're just kind of waiting for it to happen. And what I think is really interesting is it doesn't require a lot of words to be said. It's just through these little actions and these little lingering looks and everything just kind of comes together. And it's like so sweet. So this week, I mean, we've had like a whole bundle of fluff, but I feel like we need it sometimes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're going to enjoy getting a little bit freaked out and creeped out by Horror Week coming up very, very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button. We'd love to have you along for the journey. And of course, you can follow Pitchlapped on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'll keep you up to date with what's happening and the episodes as well. And I'll see you next time.